folks, welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway. This is a live edition of the Jake Feinberg Show, comedy on Power Talk. Please go to our website, powertalk.live. Download our free app to your smartphone and stream all of our live local programming, including Solomon on Blast, the Jim Parisi Show, and yours truly, the Jake Feinberg Show. Can't thank you enough for making us part of your day today and uh, like to bring back a friend of the program. A cat who's been belting it out for uh, for years on the bandstand, living in in upholstered sewers and five star hotels. He's seen <laughs> he's seen he's seen the world, uh, and he's performed for three people and three three thirty thousand people and a hundred thousand people. Alex Litcherwood, an honor to welcome you back to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you, man. It's a pleasure to be here. I like the upholstered sewers. I like, I like that. That's good. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I just wish that, you know, younger cats sort of, I guess they're probably dealing with that today on the on the circuit. But, I, I you know, Alex, before I forget, um, I one of my newest sponsors, the Desert Heart Foundation of Southern Arizona, and uh, a couple of the doctors that I'm going to be interviewing, it's going to be dedicated to a podcast about heart health and wine. Okay? And... Uh, I noticed you about heart health and wine. The 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 pos, the positive benefits of wine and heart health. Okay. Like, okay. Okay. I, and and I and I here's the thing. I was watching a 60 Minutes, uh, this piece from back in, in 20 years ago, and they were doing something in France, and they're right. saying, and I want you to talk about it because you know you you dwell there and you have for a long time. They eat fat the fattiest most delicious sumptuous foods in the world um they eat tons of cheese they drink a ton of red wine and they have no heart disease in this country we're we we it's out of control and i'm asking litcherwood because like i mean this was a pedestrian 60 minute thing but i'm going deep into this man so i was like i want to know your opinion on it well i mean uh i mean i pretty much subscribe to the french way of eating and drinking um (laughs) It suits my my uh, my libido, <laughs> but I, I think the biggest difference between you know France and the U.S. is processed foods. There's so few of that in France. You know, for example, um, my daughter or myself when I'm there visiting with my daughter or my my granddaughter, they buy the fresh food every day. Yeah. You know, they don't store a lot of food. They're not really into microwave foods, you know, highly processed foods that, you know, obviously the the manufacturers say are good for you, but blah, 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 you know, what else is in there? So it's a different way of of eating over there, you know. It's a different way of, the culture is different, obviously. So there's so much processed food in this country, in the United States, that, Obesity is a major problem, you know. Well, I was going to ask: Are you? Heart do you, disease is a major problem. I know. Well, no, but it's it, it's it's like this is the meal that the farmers have been eating for years. Nobody and there's no heart disease. Part of the issue, also, I was going to ask you: Is is lunch your biggest meal in France, or all the time? Is it? Well, I'm sorry. What was the question? You know, like in this report, they were saying that that the French the the biggest meal is lunchtime. And I want when you're in France, do you eat the biggest meal during lunch, or or do you eat? Uh, um, that's 
yeah, that's debatable, you know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah okay. It's debatable. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of the, the, the workers, they do generally go out at lunchtime and have lunch with their colleagues or with friends. But uh, pretty much for me, uh, it's the evening, early evening, you know, after everybody's come home from work and kids are in from school, it's sit-down dinner time, you know. And uh, and that that's how we figure out what's been going on with everybody during the course of the day or the week, you know. With the processed food, so for me, yeah. for me, maybe the evening, yeah. you know. The processed foods, uh, there's a lot of chemicals in there. That's that's your belief as to why there's a lot of heart disease in the states. I'm, I'm, I mean, I I I don't stay that for a fact, but no, you know. no, I'm just trying to get Duh. some. You you live there, man. I mean, you live in both places. I, I, I would I would imagine that has a lot to do with it, yeah. You know? And you don't mind red wine either. You were having some red wine at the uh, in that place in um, Westlake. I I enjoy a glass of a nice glass of red wine with my dinner, or if I'm out with friends and I'm not driving, yeah, sure. Alex, and it doesn't yeah. have to be an extremely expensive wine. If it's something I like and I know that I like it, then that's fine. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I I've like the bottom shelf. No, of course you have. I mean, you, you know, that that's what you were drinking in the upholstered sewers. But um <laughs> No, when I was when I was working the upholstered <laughs> sewers, it wasn't red wine, believe me. It was anything we could get our hands on. Oh man, it was just like pack rats. But no, can I I just want to you to talk to to cats out there. I, we 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 came in with uh your uh your your lyrics to bumping on sunset and uh right and you know my daughters love we love alex litcherwood's voice in my house uh, we we crank all the stuff that you're on that we that we wow. have and i but but can you just talk about the creative process i just my gut tells me that something like that tune uh the, the lyrics to that you kind of just hit it on the spot. I just wanted you to talk about spontaneous creativity in your as, as part of your repertoire. Well, speaking about that particular one, I mean, that was just off the top of my head. <laughs> um, I know. I mean, it That's so awesome, like, dude. Like, you know, it's like sometimes I just open my mouth and, <laughs> and some good comes out. Sometimes it doesn't come out good, but, you know, fortunately... Uh, it does occasionally come out good, and I go, wow, where did that come from? And, uh, you know, it's just channeling, I guess, whomever I'm speaking about. Like, for example, Wes Montgomery, you know, he he was such a, an icon and, and so instrumental in, in forwarding, you know, his craft that uh, it's, like, it's just a tribute to him, really, you know? Did you... Um can you talk about the alpha state when you are completely outside yourself and just riffing and then on playback? I mean, that was a live, you knew you were getting recorded, but you're just right. saying that you just riffed on that. I mean, it just, it, that band is, was such a monster band. I mean, it was just so insane. And you're like ad living on the stage about West Montgomery. It's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard, but can you talk about that alpha state or that, that, that state you can get into when you are, you don't even know that what's coming out, but it, it's it's amazing on playback. Well, yeah. well, you kind of hear right on the spot. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. I, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm 
I'm just having an open open enough mind that, that something good is going to come out, and uh, I'm grateful when it does at times, you know. Uh, as an altered state, I mean, I thought you were going to ask me about something else, <laughs> being an altered state. Well, no, because uh, people can long, get to... A long, long time ago. Yeah, no, people... altered states, nothing could, nothing good became of it. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, there's what I've really learned on this journey is that you can get to a, a place of, you know, outside yourself without dr- any drugs. I mean, I've talked to a lot of cats who've been yeah. stone sober the whole time. And I mean, Absolutely, Billy yeah. Cobham, maybe this relates to you, whatever comes, whatever flashes in your mind, but it's like, he was talking about Mahavishnu being on the road in the, at the Olympia right. in France, and he was so exhausted. It was the second set of a three-week tour. They, they had been cranking, and he literally saw himself on the side of the stage watching him play drums, even though he was still playing. And he's never done a drug well, in his life. So I, I'm just curious about that. Well, he kind of... He he kind of well he didn't lie but he was actually he was standing on the side of the stage watching me because <laughs> rocking up up. <laughs> my band actually opened up for Mahavishnu at the Olympia the 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 uh, the Ceccarelli band Litcherwood band correct yeah can you talk wow so, wow oh so well, he was I watching guess, yeah, he was we, why, wait you were on traps you were playing traps. We were on stage, and I looked to the side, and the whole Mahavishnu orchestra was standing at the side, going, looking at us. Yeah. Because we were, we were like the first kind of, you know, jazz kind of fusion French band kind of thing, you know. But we had vocals, whereas they didn't, you know. And uh, I mean, it was what a great honor to actually be on the same bill as them, you know. So it was an experience back in the early 70s, man. Wow. Well, I was going to ask you because we have, I have something queued up here, but um, I wanted to ask you about the earliest sourced recordings of, was it just Ceccarelli Litcherwood? Was that the name of the group? What was the name of the group? Or was it, no, I, the name of the group was called, it was called Truck. T-R-O-C. Truck. Truck. So, so. Yeah, which, I, yeah. Which is still in existence today, actually. Um. Did you have like the searing, like odd metered insanity that went on, or was it more structured with vocals? Uh, a little bit of both. You know? <laughs> yeah, a little, uh, a little bit. Because this, of both. Right. well, yeah. let you know. I mean, let's let's marinate on this tune because I found it last night. It's a little bit later okay. in your in your band's evolution, but uh, let's just check it out. Okay.
I mean, I <laughs> that I just got hip. <laughs> I just got hip to that, man. Like I, I mean, like. Where did that come from? And how many of these cats are, speak English, dude? Because they need to come on the Jake Feinberg show. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you pulled one out of the hat there. Yeah. I think that pretty much is from a Chicorelli album. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's called Chicorelli. Uh, it's a called solo, solo album. Yeah. But it called... had most of the musicians that were in truck were a part of that, that album, myself included. That song was actually written by. The bass player, uh, Jenny Top, who were, were still involved with it, Andre and Jenny Top and from truck. Magma. Jenny, yes, of course. Oh, and this Magma, is yeah. classic Litcherwood. This is unbelievable. Dude, this, and so who, what part, just so I can go back and listen to it, I, were, were you singing that whole th time? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean... First of all, I want to also. I want. I want. I want. And 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 I know that you you bow at the feet of Tower of Power. Like you love them. You were doing. You yeah, know, yeah. This says, this 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 dude who published it, because this Checkerelli thing. You're right. It's going to catch fire. It's just getting onto YouTube. It says Rare Groove, Speed It Up is the name of that tune, based on Tower of Power's What Is Hip. So there were there were four, actually yeah. Go ahead. Actually, actually, it was uh, originally it was kind of based on just as a. Uh, James Brown, you know, because we all came out of James Brown, including T.O.P., you know, so it was, right. it was definitely, you know, uh, the groove was originated by James Brown, but, uh, you know, the, the Tower of Power style of arranging was included in that, you know, and uh, so, I mean, they both got credit for it, you know. How are those, um, your friends, the, you know, I'm just going to read it all, you know, Ciccarelli and, and Janik and, and Chantel, Henry, Christian, Eskewed, Jean-Claude, Chavanon, uh, and Shanova. Yeah. I mean, how are they treated in, as, as musicians? What's like, how are they treated by the public? They're treated as heroes or they, how, how is the. How are satisfied are they as professional musicians, and how are they looked at oh, it in society? Yeah, they, they. I mean, they were extremely respected in in France, of course. I mean, they were relatively unknown outside of France, you know. Maybe Italy, because we have actually basically had all met in Italy back in the, you know, the late sixties, you know, with a, a group that we had, that only had back then with the Piranhas, a group called Les Piranhas. <laughs> um, which, which there's an interesting How do you, sidebar to wow, that. Yeah, um, Andre Ciccarelli was the original drummer of Le Pirana, and I was there with my Scottish group called Senate, and uh, we both bands became good friends, playing at the same clubs and stuff. And and when Andre left Le Pirana, Robbie McIntosh and I joined Le Pirana. Wow, and when when Robbie left the, the Piranha to go to play with Brian Auger, Steve Ferroni joined Le Piranha. Then later on, um, Robbie McIntosh left uh, Brian Auger to form the Average White Band, and Steve Ferroni joined Brian Auger. And then when Robbie passed away, Steve went to the Average White Band, and Chicarelli came to <laughs> Brian Hogg's band. Really? I don't so, think I knew uh, yeah, Chicarelli. Wow, Chicarelli was the drummer. It's quite a history, yeah. 
Wow, that is a daisy chain if I ever heard one. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, it, that's I mean, three, you three of the greatest drummers, you know, two of them are still alive, of course, you know. So, uh, we have a game on this program called Name That Voice. Uh, you're queuing everything up right now, so I want you to take a listen to this voice, and it ties exactly into the lineage that you're okay. talking about. Okay. I was 17. I was 17 years old when I met Alex. Wow. Uh, I, w I went to uh, went to Italy. I went oh. there for a week, and I ended up staying there for three years. Um, and uh, uh, and I met uh, Alex and Robbie Robbie McIntosh, uh, uh, the drummer with AWB, the original drummer with AWB. Absolutely. Uh, they were playing in a band called the Senate, and uh, I was playing with a band called Mouse and the Traps when I first went to Italy, and then I stayed there and worked with a guy uh, named Ronnie Jones, who's a, uh, um, uh, he's a, well, he still lives there in Italy, he's in his 70s now, and we're still in touch, he's uh, a great guy, a great singer, and, uh, and we, used to, uh, we used to stay in the same Penziani. Uh, uh, I remember I spent my 18th birthday with Alex and Robbie uh, in the Coliseum with loads of cats about <laughs> watching the sun come up, drink a couple of big bottles of cheap Chianti, <laughs> drinking and celebrating my birthday. So, you know, Alex is one of my oldest friends. As far as so that was from uh, my interview with Ferroni from October 2016. We're always talking about Litcherwood on the Jake Feinberg show. So you got did you, you you guys were drinking Chianti in the in the Coliseum. Yeah, man, that was when back in the day when you could actually sneak in. Now you can't even get close to it. <laughs> yeah, man, you want to talk <laughs> about it? Yeah, the, the three of us, the three of us, <laughs> some wine and a lot of cats. <laughs> and I mean cats, three yeah. old cats. Yeah, right, 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 right. I and love lots it. of rats. I love it. I love it. I mean, what do you, how? Can you just talk about? I mean, we last time we vetted it um, uh, about on the on the French side, where you're like, you know, they'll have a jazz festival, and you're like, who's going to show up to this? And like, a couple thousand people are there, you know, in a couple hours. Right. In this country, right. when you were playing whiskey a go go, or when you were whatever you were doing on, on in any band, as to today, when you're playing the baked potato, or you're playing live with Auger or or Garfield, I noticed at the gig. How here's the question: How has the significance of music changed in the states? Wow, it's a deep question. Um, because people were talking, people were talking when you were cranking "Good Lovin'" or whatever tune you guys were. All I'm saying is, and I was I was at a bar with Larry Van, the great drummer, and you know I know Larry, yeah, yeah, man, and 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 so I'm just saying people are like, and they like I was in front of the trap set, I was. I was pretty. I was feeling great, and I was dancing. And this dude comes up, and it wasn't a big dance floor, but the guy's like, "Stop blocking everybody's view." And I, and if I was in my right state of mind, I would have looked at him and said, "Music is for dancing." But absolutely. But but what I'm saying is, there's a vibe out there where it's like, strict. No matter how burning it is, no matter how consciousness elevating it is, it is meant merely. I don't know. It's changed. And I want, as far as the significance in our cult, in this, in this culture, I wanted you to talk about that. Hmm. Well, you know, for me, um, 
I mean, I see it happening. Uh, I don't get too bothered by it because, like you said, I mean, music is supposed to uplift people, and if they want to dance, let them dance. And, you know, it, it, what might upset me is if people are overly loud and talkative and not paying attention, which is their right to not. If they don't want to pay attention, fine. But you paid your money. And fine, but you know, there's a certain point where it's it's just either inappropriate or or it's just rude, you know. Uh, most of ninety five percent of the time, people have, especially with what I do and the people I work with and play with, you know, people are generally very respectful, you know. So Absolutely. I'm grateful for that, you know. Um, when it comes to very large venues and stuff, I mean, I. I I see watching videos of some of the rock bands or, you know, and the people are having a good time and that's basically what it's all about, you know. If somebody gets out of hand and they're usually dealt with very quickly nowadays, you know. I mean, Ming- Mingus I used mean, to Mingus used to go and tackle people or th- he'd get in fights with football yeah, players. Like, you did, you, did you ever have to, you know, rough somebody up because they were just obnoxious or did you have an experience? I, I have to believe that at some time... Uh, there was a, there was some kind of heavy scuffle. Well, yeah, I mean there was always <laughs> moments like that, man. But she, fortunately, I either had a mic stand in my hand or I had a guitar, and uh, you know, you had a weapon. It, it didn't ha- it didn't have to come to fisty cops because you know, was, you know, well, I won't go any further. <laughs> but I guess I want you but to talk there, about there a- yeah. Go ahead. There was, there was a couple of times when, you know, people would run up on the stage and I'd see them heading for Carlos, so I would just step in the way, you know, and it, it sort of, that would kind of diffuse the situation until, you know, either the, the, the stage crew or, you know, security on stage would take care of it, you know. But uh, never to the point where it was, like, bloody, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, I, I, Thank, I, thankfully, you know, it's not even about the, um, I'm, well, I am beginning to think that in some ways it's not even a supply and demand issue or a club issue. It's just an actual audience issue. Like people are much more into their, uh, I mean, music, people were out. You couldn't go down the streets in any regional center of this country for a period of time. There was just music pulsing, pulsating out of certain right, yeah. centers. And so it's, that's what, you know what it is when, when I listen to it, I, I feel like moving closer and closer to a pacification or a numbness and it's like that's antithetical to the music you guys came up wanting to make music for the sake of making music none of you got into it for fame and fortune which is more the justin bieber thing people see like oh wow he's famous and he's wealthy i want to do that yeah has nothing to do with making good music and i just want you to talk about the the most important ethos as it relates to making good music because there are cats that obviously are trying to carve their own path well, I mean, social media has a lot to do with that. You know, I mean, I think one of the things that might, might annoy me the most is if I'm doing uh, I'm on stage or whatever and uh, people are just they're on Facebook, you know, or they're on social media and it's like, you know, that, that's pretty annoying and you know, not much you can do about it. Um, but... Uh, as far as the, the young kids are concerned today, this is where they get their information, you know, about any kind of music that's out there, you know. 
and the way that the social media pushes certain types, you know, to make people famous or whatever, you know, is, I mean, there's not much I can do about that. All I can do is keep my head down and, you know, just enjoy it. Right, except if you're going, if you're doing a Facebook Live video of Garfield, big band, uh, you know, blowing it out to the world to let them see you sing, you know, but it's, it's a, how you use the technology. Are you literally, exactly, yeah. are you connected to the, the inanimates in object or are you going to connect to humanity? I actually wanted to ask, this just popped up. How did you originally wind, how did you wind up in, uh, Carlos Santana's, uh, band? Um, actually through friends. Um, I had, I had been working in upstate New York with a, a guy called David Sanchez, who was the original keyboard player from the E Street Band, uh, with uh, producer Eddie Offord, who had produced um, an album that I had done with uh, Brian Auger back in England back in the day. And the story I got was that Carlos and Greg Walker were in some music stores buying records or whatever and the album that I had done with um, David Sanchez came on and just seemed to be some interest there and Carlos tried to find out who I was and found out who I was through Narda Michael Walden hmm. who was part of the same uh, set with Carlos and John McLaughlin and I had actually done a tour with, with Narda uh, before Nada became famous, also. Um, Are you kidding? What What was the configuration of that band? Oh, the configuration of Nada's band was myself, Philippe Sace, a wonderful French oh. pianist, oh. uh, T.M. Stevens on bass. Um, let me see who else was in that band. Uh, oh, Pat Thrall, guitar player. Oh, I've, dude, I've been looking player. to talk to Pat for I can. What a ferocious! Was there a name to this band, or was it just this was just? Narc and then uh, let me see. We had Bobby <laughs> Gonzalez, a, a great drummer out of New York. Oh, City. I knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Norma Jean Bell, who was an alto saxophone player out of Detroit, Michigan. And uh, that was that was an amazing band, and that was Nardis pretty pretty much. He, he had made one or two albums prior to putting that together. And uh, we did a bunch of work together back up the this, East Coast. Just and, for my uh, own sanity. Just for my own sanity. So that's how Carlos found me. He, he found me through Narda. So know. he, so wait, so, so, but he heard the tone. He heard that badass. Apparently, yeah. Oh my God. I, that, dude, we're about, you're, you're, you're queuing everything up right now. But the thing is that, I want to be clear, with Troc, the, the yeah. French, okay, I want to be clear. Did you, share the bill with the Narda Michael Walden Mahavishnu or Billy Cobb? No, Billy. Both. No, it was Billy. It was both. Okay, no, it was Bill just Billy. No, it was Billy Cobham, yeah. That's awesome. So then Narda, how did you link with Narda originally? Um, I don't know. I'm trying to remember how I hooked up with Narda. Well, I'm stretching you That's out. That's an interesting question. <laughs> so listen. Yeah, but I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure it was through other friends as well. <laughs> Dude, wait, wait. So it was just Narda. It was, it was, was there a name for the group? Because that's... An insane. You don't know. No, there wasn't a name for the group that I recall. Um, you know, I think what might have happened was Narda came and saw either me with Brian Auger in New York or it was with 
David Sanchez, so it could have been somewhere in there, you know. Well, let's just, I got your cue, let's just cue up this other piece here, uh, ferocious piece, okay. going through the, the career here of Alice Lidgerwood on Power Talk 1210. Here we go.
mean, <laughs> dude. Where, wow. I, I mean, yeah. everybody, you're the type of cat, like most musicians, you just you always want to are searching for new ground. And what were you and Sanchez like when you came together? Could you just explain to regular peeps listening worldwide about what you guys were trying to do that was different? I can hear it, but I can't articulate it. Well, I'll tell you the story. Um, I got a call from Eddie Offord, who I'd mentioned before, who I'd worked with back in England. And uh, he called me up. I was here in California. I just, I guess I just finished doing some stuff with Brian. And uh, Eddie goes, he goes, I've got this artist here in upstate New York and Woodstock of all places. Mm. I says, okay, she said, well, she's, we'll be trying out different singers from this new project that David has. He says, but we're looking for one guy that can cover all the aspects of what David's trying to do. I said, okay. He says, well, why don't you come in and uh, check it out and, uh, you know, we'll play some of the music and so I flew to New York and went up to Woodstock and the, the project was basically finished. It was just the vocals that had to be done, you know, with some backgrounds and stuff. We had Gil Boggs and Brenna Madison who were great in their own right. And uh, when I started listening to the stuff, I went, my goodness, he wants me to put my teeth into this. I, I'd been <laughs> looking for something like like that for, you know, forever. You know, which was, it was so, so progressive as far as musically and vocalization. And, and it was like David had written everything in my keys. Right. You know, right. So what, are like, keys? what are your keys? What are your keys? Yeah, name them. <laughs> it's just like this you upper know. register, but also like then it's it's just insane. You're, you find these, these little grooves. Uh, but I mean, like, was it? So he had the material, and then, like, did you have to woodshed on it, or did you just hit, like, in the... Oh, I, of course, I, I, I woodshed it, yeah, of course. I mean, you, you can't just, with this type of stuff, especially with David's writing, I mean, you have to really immerse yourself in it uh, and, and try and understand what he's trying to accomplish, and then uh, just give him, I just give him the best that I have, and it turned out that David went, damn. Okay, let's go. So <laughs> that's, we we finished. Uh, we finished all the tracks. I don't know, probably within a, about a week. You know, because I was like, I was so high on the music and high as far as you know being involved in such a project and the musicianship with uh, Gerald Carboy, the bassist, and Ernest Boom Carter, and David was like. Wow, I'm I'm ready to take the next step forward, and that was it for me. You know, that was the next step as far as the evolution of my being a musician. You know, uh, I had the opportunity to not only be you know a singer, but to be a full-bred musician also. You know, and have my voice as my instrument. So it was a very special time for me. Uh, you don't you don't feel that had that had. I guess it was evolving before that. You don't feel like it was an instrument before that. Oh yeah, I mean to to a certain degree, but it was not like as that. challenging. Yeah, it was definitely not as challenging. No, you know, it's insane. You know, I was basically your typical rock soul singer. You know, 
And then uh, when I got handed this stuff, I went, oh, my God, let's go. <laughs> so, you know, and uh, I'm just so grateful that I, you know, and even to this day, I still regard it as one of, one of the stepping stones for myself, you know. And I thank David so much for that. He gave me that opportunity, you know. Well, and then and then and then the link to uh, uh, Devadip uh, Santana. It just uh, it's kind of a cosmic. Very. Who this Eddie offered? Is he still around, or is he, has he left us, or is he still? You know, that, that's a good question, man. I mean, I would just love to talk to this guy to because he was. A, I mean, without him, he, without he was looking out for you, man. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, I, I did a, the last time I kind of really spoke to Eddie was shortly after I had done, done some work with the Dixie Drags, who Eddie was producing at the time. Unbelievable. And, uh, but these last two years, the story I've gotten from some sources say that Eddie bought a boat and him and his wife took off on the boat and they haven't been seen since. <laughs> All right, one of those stories. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of doesn't really surprise me because, you know, Eddie was so involved in the music industry, and, well, we know how that can be. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. and he just wanted to get out and go visit the rest of the world, you know. So, so hopefully he's still doing it. I don't know. Litcherwood, what is your feeling about, um, uh, I just can't wait to ask you this, uh, Pro Tools, as far as, fixing vocals <laughs> because now you can be like how did i sound and the engineer is like terrible but you're so hot and you have 30 million followers right, we'll fix yeah. it so i mean have I the, mean, do you use pro tools on your vocals ever there, yeah there's well, everything goes through pro tools nowadays i mean right there's very very few sessions where you're going from the microphone through the board to tape you know, to analog, so yeah. everything, yeah, analog. So everything basically is going to, you know, man. It all depends on who's running the board. <laughs> you know, and there are people out there that that will use Pro Tools to make something terrible good, and then there's guys out there that will use Pro Tools to enhance. Um. Um. Use the technology to make it, you know, to make it correct, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, you know, it's a fine line, you know. I mean, I, I work with, with a lot of engineers and producers who they use it because the tool is there and it's, it's, they're forwarding, you know, they have to be up with the technology. So, there's, you know, um, so it's a difficult thing to, I, I'm not going to put it down by any means, no. Um, I very rarely have to use auto tune. That's what I was. That's what I meant to say. Auto tune. That's, that's what I meant. You're getting, yeah. Because um, yeah. uh, I'm fortunate where I have I have good intonation, but occasionally I will like, or the producer or the client will like a whole thing that I've done, and there's maybe one or two words in there that. And maybe slightly flat or slightly sharp. You know, I'm a human being, and they'll go in and fix that, but they'll keep the rest. Is you there? Know? Yeah, no. I mean, how do you also like in today's world, like being that you are, you have this um, very cool, unique musical gift? Uh, you know, it's not it's not an actual instrument, but it's your voice. I mean, 
What does the studio look like? Are you, is there any active studio or is it just going to people's indoor studio, like their home built studios? Both. There's, there's still both. There's not a whole lot of main, main studio here in Los Angeles. Yeah. We still have a lot of studios, you know, um, which one would you, which ones are still kind of crank, like not cranking, but I mean, uh, where you, you'd go into the actual studio and like, you know, you'd hit there. Well, there, there's a few that, I mean, to name a few off the top of my head, yeah, I'm too hot. <laughs> yeah. So it's mainly home. It's mainly home studios. And then there's yeah, there's a lot of guys of home studios that are you know equally as good as the major recording studios because they're all using Pro Tools anyway. So you know, what's the difference? You know. Um, yeah, I, I have uh, one more one more treat for you. I need you to uh, really pay attention to this and. Uh, and then we'll come back and break it down. Okay. Pretty good, huh? Okay. What we got? It looks like I might have to do it. song about something I did, a little song about me, a song about where I grew up, some place that really taught me to be free. So we get started, uh, here we go. This is hard to do, you know? You guys sure you paid enough money for this? You ready? Okay, I want you to repeat after me. I was born. In a whore house And I was raised as a slave Talking and fighting Still all I prayed about Born in a whore house Raised as a slave And talking and fighting Still all I prayed so knocking out windows and kicking them doors, still calling women chicken shit whores. So I was born in the whole house. And raised as a slave. Alex works for me sometimes. <laughs> Playing the drums. Playing the drums, that's, 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 that's really, really what I crave. That's the end of my reign. <laughs> uh, so I, 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 I gotta be, I want, I, I, that was Capitol Theater, 1986, and right after that, it's not recorded, but you, you get on the mic and say, we've been going through the Midwest and East Coast the last month, and everywhere we go, they say, Mate, let Bill sing, and he saved it for tonight, and, <laughs> and <laughs> when I interviewed Justin Kreutzman, his son, Justin said, that Brent was playing drums. 
Oh, that wouldn't surprise me, yeah. Because he mentions, because like you know, Billy's not comfortable singing, but he's singing. He's like, I, he says, he goes, he goes, I, I hire Alex sometimes, and he's laughing. And I was like, I, <laughs> but, but I think you're playing organ. I don't even know, man. I mean, Brent was playing drums on that. That's that's very possible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Billy didn't get up that often, but when he did, it was hilarious. I, I mean, just like like at that. I, love that guy. I mean, yeah. I mean, what? What? I mean, do you think that there there could possibly be another collaboration between uh, Litcherwood and Kreutzmann? Just because, I mean, there that band, <clears throat> that band was on fire. I mean, Brent rest in, Brent was also like you said, he was a total genius. And then you had the city section basically, and it was such a great basically, yeah. Yeah, it was such was, a great yeah. gig. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I'd love you to. Were you staying in upholstered? I think actually you were at the Coppola residence that evening, if Justin tells me correctly. I mean, they, you're, they were trying oh to they were trying to get the Coppolas to come to the Go Ahead show. They're like, nah, that's all right. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I vaguely remember that. I remember, you know, uh, Bob Brent. I mean, you know, Brent Midland. What do you say? You know, was his was his I vocals like? As, I mean, he's about as unique a vocalist as you are, really. I mean, as far as the. But he, I mean, the guy, he was such a student of music. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't much got past Brent, you know, and, you know, he had a unique way of singing that it was unique to him. You know, he was a, he was a black man in a white boy's soul, you know? I, yeah. <laughs> kind of like you, man. <laughs> well, you know, I'm Scottish, so that's a difference. You are, no, I was going to, like, like uh, can you talk about some of the, uh, did you get a chance to ever um, share a bill with Fela Kuti? With who? With Fela. Fela Kuti from Lagos. Any of the any of the African uh, uh, Afro? Um, because a lot of times I hear your vocals and it does have a, a motherland. I know it's your Scottish accent, but that you know, uh, yeah. it, 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 were you influenced by any of those cats, like uh, the Miriam well, McCabe or yeah, anything? Absolutely, yeah. You know, um, there was a, when I was living in Paris, uh, there was uh, there was a lot of African musicians in France and Paris at the, those time in the seventies. You know, uh, Salif Kita, Tori Kunda, mm-hmm. uh, Fela. Um, oh man, there was there was a lot. So I was, you know, I was exposed to a lot of it. You know, especially. Uh, Salif, you know. Um, Can you talk about what was what kind of was it was it their ability to their sonic projection or was it also their stage presence that had the most impact on you? No, it was def- definitely the, the musical aspect of mm-hmm. it. You know, I mean, Salif um, uh, in particular. I mean, the, the what am I trying to say? Here? The the scale. He was pretty much singing the African Arabic scale wow. as far as his vocal was concerned but I saw this video of him once um, he's actually an albino but he was a, a, a prince of Mali you know yeah he was actually a prince you know wow. Wow. but he would go out he would go out into the savannah and just scream as loud as he could <laughs> and put voice and I was like are you kidding me <laughs> You know, this this was a revelation. You know, it's like this this man is teaching me how to project. You know, and then when I finally met him, 
Well, what a sweet, sweet gentleman he was, you know. And I found out with most of the African musicians who were living. Unfortunately, I didn't get to Africa to experience it there. I got to experience it in France and Paris. And, uh, I mean, it, there was there was so much great music and such a different vibe from, you know, what we were accustomed to. Although Salif was using a lot of French musicians who were very funky and very talented. And uh, but he went back to using, you know, his own African style musicians, which was, you know, what he was most famous for, you know. But it was a great exposure. And and I guess like at that time, also like Ginger Baker and Fela were doing their thing over there. You must have were you part of bands? I mean, you were the Senators like that, or was there ever a band that you before you connected with Augur? I mean, I know you were you were doing some stuff with. Uh, with Jeff Beck, but um, like, did you go into like an Afrobeat kind of group at all? No, not really, man. No, um, I've got close to it anywhere was you know with the Trock band, you know. Trock, yeah, yeah. Although you know, with Brian, it was always a percussionist. I was from Trinidad, but you know, so it was always an influence of uh, you know Africa somewhere, you know. I was going to say the uh, it was le- and plus le- any of you, any of your soul and your blood music. I mean, where does it all come from? All comes from Africa, right? Yeah. Well, Langston, his yeah. name was Langston, right? Uh, the the Congo player, Lennox Langston. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ferroni was talking about him too. It's just you know, I just before I let you go, man. Um, I, I you know I just I'd like you know some people talk about. Uh, well, the intentions. What are your intentions and and uh, for music, you know? And and some people talk about a calling. And I'd like you to talk about, you know, how that calling existed when you when you knew that you had you did, no matter what you couldn't do anything else with your life than music. Well, um, I don't know when when that actually happened for me. And, <laughs> <laughs> just kept going and going and going and going. Yeah, you know, like the you know the, the Energizer Bunny, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did. You're just having a good time, you know. But I mean, but it, but it, yeah, I mean, yeah. that was it. I mean, I was that was a young man who was just having a ball, and you know, I think the I think the person that kind of made me get serious about it was Benny King. So you know, he made me think about what, where I was going, and what I was doing. Now, as far as um, what do I see for the future? Or, or no, actually, you know, the better past. question is the other. The better question is, what, where were you? Did you ever really contemplate walking away? And what, if so, what did you do to to stay oh, in? All the, the time. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All the time. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you didn't, if you didn't think, oh, screw this, yeah. you know, you're pretty stupid. But you know, you know, um, the heart will prevail. Then you start thinking, well, shoot, what else am I going to do? Become a butcher again? I don't think so. Right. I mean, you know, you know. I mean, who knows though? I mean, do you think that you might start, you know, saddling up with some of these uh, movements, uh, social? I, you know, one thing that's interesting is that uh, black no. pe- black 
you know, there's, there's, what's lacking in a lot of these uh, social consciousness movements today is, is music. You know, but when you had Masakela, who played right. for Black Panther movements, and I'm sure there was similar stuff right. going on over, you know, in Europe, and, and that's lacking today. Do you see, I just gathered from what we talked about before we, before we opened this interview about your disenchantment with just the dysfunction. Do you just, do you feel, do you see yourself, where do you want to grow and do you see yourself doing something alongside to advocate for a cause that you that is maddening to you that you that you feel like you need to do more than what you're doing um it's a good question um i mean i get i get invited quite quite regularly to to be a part of certain organizations who are trying to promote peace and harmony and you know taking care of children and the homeless and veterans and and I, I do my small part if, if I'm a, if I'm able to um, I think in, in today's today's light especially with what happened yesterday if someone called me and said listen we're going to put something together to um, to try and you know make the government be more aware and be more responsible for gun control laws, then I would probably say yes. Now, to actually um, commit my life to something like that, I I don't quite know. Uh, I think I'm in a better place where if I continue to be the best musician I can be and put out, you know, music and lyrics with with hope, uh, that, that that would be, you know, part of my legacy you know well i was gonna say tell the truth man it, uh that we're having a hard time dealing with facts now that's the scariest part it's just a habitual lying going on at the top and uh um i also just want to ask you clearly i mean the government to me i look at it and i, I just want you to make sure that you can that verify this the if they put in uh restrictions on 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 certain weapons and background checks and they and they and they passed common sense gun regulation and it doesn't stop it's not foolproof but it's what it's saying to so- oh, what, what it's saying to society is we are we, we want a more peaceful society right they're sending a message that we are not gonna the, the fact that you do the same thing over and over again that's called insanity right you just it's important Absolutely. to sh- right is that what I'm getting I want I want you to talk about why that's the symbolic part of it I mean I mean the, 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 do you think the madness is going to stop of course not no madness is not going to stop the madness will stop when the majority of the people stand up and say we've had enough and and make radical changes. Now, you have to understand, we've been saying this ever since the 60s, since the Vietnam War. You know, most musicians of my age. That's true. I I haven't, you know, it's funny. uh, You know, this is nothing new, you know. I mean, okay, it's it's new in the sense that, you know, it's young children killing younger children. I understand that. But, you know, war is war. war. Now, we'll be in a war for as long as I can remember, you know. And, uh, you know, they say the hippies were you know, were fools and drug addicts. Well, it wasn't true, you know. We weren't fools, and we weren't all drug addicts, you know. No, and, and you were coming at it from uh, a point of nobody was looking to, to, 
to, I think that's what you just said is the most cryptic thing is when you have young children killing younger children, meaning why are they feeling no hope at that age? You know, why are, why is there this sort of sentiment creeping in where there's no hope as opposed to older people sending younger people off to die in Vietnam? I mean, I, I to me, it would be, I can't imagine where you're at at this point because I wasn't even birthed till 78, you know, and I mean, it, you know, and it's, well, yeah. so it's just, you know, it's, uh, it's a vaccine. Yeah, it's, like, it's, like I, it's like I said, I mean, I just have to keep continuing to be a musician and try to put out positive energy, positive thoughts, positive music in the hope that it, it gets spread, you know? Well, I want to tell you something. Well, I tell you something. Much the most I can do. Oh, well, let me tell you something. I just want to be, before I let you go, uh, there is we the stuff that you've already done either go ahead or oblivion sanchez i mean right. that's all over that's in my daughter's ears for life not not because right. i'm i'm forcing it in because we get off on it so you keep doing it and even if it affects that one person um you know they, that's, that's that's the that's the hope my friend uh, Carry on, sir. I I, uh, I look forward to connecting again in person when I'm out on the road doing Jake Feinberg, uh, you know, on Please the road. Do, man. Yeah, man. Hey, man, you you keep doing what you're doing because I, I follow some of the other interviews <laughs> that you do with my colleagues and yes. my mentors and my peers, and uh, it's it, it's a wonderful thing because it keeps them alive it keeps us alive yeah absolutely in the memories of other people thank you so much Jake. yeah thank you mr lidgerwood i'll talk to you soon brother god bless man. bless you brother later Bye-bye. the great alex lidgerwood beautiful hang uh we'll be back uh, tomorrow with terry haggerty until then peace Please don't bother trying to find her.